0: <laughs> I'm clapping too, not for me. Um, <laughs> I'm clapping for you guys. Uh, Sean's, first of all, what a treat and a treasure. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Didn't he turn 50 last week or something? Didn't we all sing happy birthday for him last week? Uh, just tell him happy 50th next time you see him, please. He's not quiet, but we're rounding up, because it's him. Uh, I love him to death. Uh, it has been incredibly fun uh, the last few months, watching him come back and I've been sitting out in those services where you've been sitting and watching him bear his soul. I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. I don't want to be Sean up here. <laughs> you guys overwhelm me with such kindness that it caught me off guard. So I love you guys too so much. At every campus, I love you guys so much. Woo. I've been in such a good mood all day, all week. I was hyperactive the whole time. And then I come up here and I'm a hot little mess. Just, it'll just take me a second, but I just say this. I'm so proud of watching um, our pastor bear his soul and be honest and vulnerable. The world needs that right now. It's a tough time. Uh, it's a good time. It's a great time to be alive, but it's a tough time right now because the world's changing at such a fast pace and a lot of people, their health, their mental health, they don't fully know how to keep up and uh, I'm one of them. And so watching Sean go through some of the same stuff I went through and handle it and step up and be a man and be a man of God and be a good husband and be a good parent to his kids has um, inspired me. So I'll never say this again, but in that regards, I'm his mentee, okay? <laughs> He's not here at this service. You didn't hear me say that. I will deny it. <laughs> I'm super proud to be here also because of you guys. And, Here's what I mean, for the last year, however long I've been gone, um, the outpouring of love and the generosity of your guys' spirit towards me and my family has been incredible. And I do not take that uh, lightly. To feel loved um, by people that you had to leave, at least in my capacity, was incredibly difficult for me to do. Uh, One that I've had to heal from and deal with because it felt like, oh man, I'm abandoning the people I love, I'm abandoning the people that have been so good to me and my family, but I had to step away and um, and next to nobody that I know of at least made me pay for that. But instead, you guys met me with generosity and you guys met me with kindness and you guys met me with affirmation and you guys met me with attaboys and encouragement. And I have lived off that and fueled off that. And so I'm just so thankful and... <laughs> This is this week. I I told the team back there. uh, I said I'm excited to preach in this 166 series, and they're like, "It's 167." I go, "Not when I'm preaching." (laughs) So (laughs) you're losing an hour this week outside of these walls. I hope you packed a lunch. Um, Got a lot built up in here going right now. It's been a while. Got a lot of rebuking for you guys. Just, no, I'm just kidding. But I just, wanna, I just wanna, and I'm gonna trust that you know my heart, and, and without overdoing this, I just wanna say thank you, and then I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna get in uh, to the word. That's the real reason here, we're here, right? You guys are so kind to me, and I'm grateful, but we're here to lift up Jesus. We're here to magnify the person of Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit for the love of God. That's why we are here, and so I'm gonna do this. Uh, I am going to pray, and then we're gonna jump right in. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, The prophet Isaiah said, it never returns back to you without accomplishing something. So my job is fun right now. What a a gift I get right now to preach your word. Help me to do it well. Holy Spirit, only you can create real change. So would you ignite with my words and would you change people's hearts? We wanna walk out of here better than we walk in. We wanna be stronger than we walked in. And this is a message of literal strength. This is a message that if it does not give us strength, I don't know what does. So would you just bless this time, we give it over to you, Jesus, this is for you, our King and our Savior. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. So again, as we're in this 166 year, um, <laughs> I'm just, just for tonight, um, 167, we happen to be in a, in a time in this year where we're talking about spiritual formation, we're talking about the fundamentals of our faith. And Sean gave me permission to to put that on hold and talk about whatever I wanted, but I told him right away when he told me uh, what we were in, I said, no, I want to speak on spiritual disciplines. I I knew we'd be talking about the Word of God. Next week, you're going to want to be here. That's that's coming up next. I knew we'd be talking about prayer, which Ronnie spoke so eloquently and powerful last week. Uh, Doug talked about the power of uh, our friendships, our community, our fellowship, our life groups. Um, and Sean had an incredible message, how we fight our battles. Man, there's something so powerful when we, when we take our words and we attach it to music, right? I've always called it Words on Steroids, and, and, and he talked about the power of, of musical worship and, and all kinds of worship. And, and I'm going to jump in, and, and, and I want to throw you, I think maybe some of you at least for a little bit of a loop, because I'm going to put something into the category of spiritual discipline and formation and the fundamental of our faith that a bunch of you probably wouldn't think about. Because duh, prayer, right? Of course, that's a spiritual discipline. Of course, our lives are incredibly toast without prayer, right? It's just not going to go well, right? Of course, the word of God is fundamental to our faith. Of course, who you put yourself around friendship wise is central to our faith. Of course, worship. But I'm going to say this. All of those things we're talking about in this series, as significant and fundamental as they are, they're just a means to a greater end. That's all they are just a means to a greater end, and I really wanna tap into what I think the greater end is. When you look at the narrative of Scripture from the beginning to the end, Genesis kinda leads us into this idea, the motive behind God creating us, taking his image and breathing it into the dust and creating what we now call human beings. His motive was for us to enjoy life. You understand that? But this stupid thing in Genesis 3 happens and sin gets in the way, right? That stupid talking snake, however that happened, right? And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in the midst of a life where in the deepest recesses of who we are, we know we were created to enjoy this life. But so many things because of this thing called sin get in the way of that. Therefore, it is an absolute discipline of massive spiritual proportion for you to intentionally enjoy life. But there's so many ways. Yeah, right. There's so many ways that you can misuse the enjoyment of life, not for the glory of God, but for the sin of man, that we start to over time make the mistake of of putting enjoying life in some type of lesser category. But can I tell you the reason you pray ultimately is to re-enjoy life? The ultimate reason we get in God's word and renew our mind is so that we can have the mind we were originally supposed to have so we can enjoy life? Like the, the, the word enjoy, the, the, in the English language, N is just a prefix in the Latin, right? Right? And, and when you attach that to any word, the word end just means to pour into, right? So when it says encouragement, that when you encourage someone, you're just pouring courage into them, right? Well, when, when you enjoy something, that means you're re-pouring. It's like cyclical. We have to always be refilling the joy cups. You, listen to this. I wrote this in my notes just five minutes ago before I got up here. You deserve, I felt God literally speaking to my heart and saying, tell them this right up top. you deserve, to enjoy life. It is not God who has sent you a message otherwise. It is the voice of the enemy, I promise you, if you think you have in any way, shape, or form, no matter what you walked in here with, forgotten that you have, forfe- you have not forfeited the right to enjoy life. You every day of your life deserve, in fact, I could argue, and I won't this particular message, but I could argue the whole time that that's precisely what Jesus came back for was life and life to its fullest, the enjoyment of it. So we're gonna talk about that. But I think in order for us to really do that, I'm gonna give you a homework assignment. You can't do it right now because you need to think about it. But I'm gonna do mine right now because I've already thought about it. I want you to go home and if you, if you have a significant other, um, I want you, to, you guys to share your dream days with each other. Like if you really celebrated life, because I'm gonna use these terms interchangeably, the enjoyment of life and the spiritual discipline of what I call celebration. Good old-fashioned partying again, the right way, God's way. It's a discipline and you deserve it. So what's your dream day? You guys go home and talk about that. Here's my dream day. Some of you, this won't resonate. Some of you, you're you're my people, this will be you. My dream day is I wake up, I'm in one of those huts 50 feet out in the, the perfectly blue water in the Tahitian Ocean. There is, right there waiting for me, a hot cup of coffee, straight black, nothing in it, because I'm an American. (laughs) Straight black. I saw someone, this was awesome, this week, on Twitter they said this, and I reposted it on mine, because it was so, she said, uh, last year I tried quitting coffee for Lent, and I became 100% less like Jesus. (laughs) Lent responsibly, people. Be careful if you're gonna gonna do that. If that's your thing, be careful. (laughs) I would have coffee. I would have nine strips of bacon for breakfast. Don't judge me. It would happen to be uh, by fantasy football day. So it would be the championship. So I would start my morning off filling out my roster for the, I mean, having a quiet time. um, And then (laughs) filling out my roster. And I would fill out my roster. And then I would get on a paddleboard in ocean that you can see the bottom of and I would paddleboard till my heart's content. What's better than that, right? Just getting out there, getting the heart rate up in nature. I would come back, read a fiction book for an hour, maybe two, I don't know, it's up to me. I'd have some lunch, I'd take a nap, because God gives sleep to those he loves, right? As long as I would wake up if my kids are in a good mood and I like them that day, because it's my day, remember? We go jet skiing, maybe a little scuba sash, I don't know. But we have some fun there, if they're good, if not, I take them to the made-up nanny that I now have because it's my favorite day. Kids are on the front row. Don't act all spiritual, you got put there. I know. I know. I know how you were earlier today, come on. It's a safe church, imperfect people serving a perfect God. Right, I've heard that. Um, what else would I do? I would have, uh, I would go, oh, okay, okay. I would go and do like a 1,000 calorie killer workout so I could feel a little bit better about the 3,000 calorie dinner I'm gonna have of fresh sushi and ice cream afterwards. Then my wife and I would leave the kids with the made-up nanny. We would go on an incredible date where we just stared into each other's eyes and had dinner together and had fun. And then we would come home and draw one of those baths that's out on the balcony. And we would, um, um. <laughs> we would, uh, we would talk, and, oh, you guys thought, no, stop! Red Rock, stop! Get your minds right. True love waits, right? Christians, we don't believe in having sex. Could lead to dancing. Come on. Come on, people. Talking about a holy way to celebrate tonight. I'm kidding. That's what would happen. Um, (laughs) My day. This is my day. Here, here's the deal, though, and I want you to go home, and I want you, I want you guys to, to tell each other your day. It's a good exercise, right? Maybe you can even help make that kind of happen for each other. I can't do the Tahiti thing, but just so you know. Um, but here's what we know. Most of us in this room, I think, have lived long enough, and at all of our campuses, have lived long enough to know this. Here's the unfortunate truth about our dream days. You can do all of those activities that just make you come alive and that just make you feel amazing and that you just love selfishly, you just love to do. And if your heart and your attitude is not healthy and is not right and is not in a good place, that will never fuel you with the joy that you deserve to have, right? Haven't you ever danced that dance? Haven't you been on a vacation where you're just not doing good? And no matter how many activities you fill that thing with, no no matter how many amenities you have in that situation, until that heart and that attitude gets changed, it really just doesn't do anything. In fact, it ends up being a big waste of money and feels like a big indictment on who you are. Because the kingdom of God, the original intent for us as humans has always been an inside out proposition. The world does it the opposite. They 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 continue to get us to, to to clamor and to go for all of the amenities in life, to have all the things, all the advertising. We know this. It just constantly berates us with everything we think we need in order to celebrate life again. Because we know we were designed to celebrate life. It's in the deepest parts of our divinity and our DNA. But Jesus comes and introduces his kingdom and he just keeps telling us all throughout scripture, my kingdom is a kingdom of the inside out proposition. You will never find true joy. You will never walk in the spiritual discipline that you deserve of enjoying life if you're not constantly taking care of your attitude and your heart, not your next vacation. So I put this up here on the screen. You can uh, write this in your notes if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this in your notes. The spiritual discipline of celebration is more about an attitude than it is an activity. It's more about an attitude than it is an activity, and I cannot think of a better book to just narrate this for us, to give this uh, an example for us, than this ancient Old Testament book called the book of Nehemiah. In fact, I've been studying this book a bunch this year because my personal word for this year, I have one every year like a bunch of you, is rebuild, rebuilding some sacred things in my life, some, some sacred walls that were starting to fall. One of the reasons that I felt like it was time to step away and rethink some things as a pastor, some, some sacred things that were starting to fall. So I'm gonna rebuild this year. And this book, if you've ever read it, if you're new uh, to, to the scriptures, don't worry. I'm, I'm gonna hopefully make this real simple for you and I'm gonna explain it well, I hope. But for those you know, the theme of this book is the rebuilding of the ancient walls. Let me give you a brief historical context. Nehemiah is this incredible man of God, and he has an unreal gift of leadership. Like when you read Nehemiah, one of the things you will see in it is it is a textbook on how to lead effectively as a man or woman of God. He's an incredible man of God. But for the last 70 years, before we read what we're going to read, Israel had been scattered. They had been enslaved by Babylon because of their own rebellion. In other words, God's sovereign hand let them go into their enemy's hand as a little bit of discipline from God. So for the last 70 years, Israel has been scattered all throughout the different provinces where Babylon is ruling the world. Nehemiah is such an incredible person and such an incredible leader that by the time he's an adult, he actually has a cabinet-level position for King Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon at the time. And not just any position, he's actually a position of incredible high regard. It's called the cupbearer. Now, it sounds like a destiny. It sounds like a horrible position. It sounds like a punishment. Because what the cupbearer did is, the cupbearer would be in charge of taking the first sip of the king's wine, because there were a bunch of people that wanted the king dead all the time, right? It was savage back then, right? These are ancient times. And so he got the job as the cupbearer, drinking the wine before the king would drink it to make sure that it wasn't poisoned, and if it was, then is dead, not the king, right? This was in the best interest of the nation, and it was an incredible honor to be the potential sacrificial lamb for the king. Like, it was an incredible honor to be the sacrificial lamb for the king, and, 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 and he was highly regarded. Here's what's crazy, though. He's not even Babylonian. He's Jewish. Like, he's thriving in enemy territory. He's enjoying life in enemy territory, but then something happens. He starts to hear word that all of Jerusalem, the motherland, This most holy plot of ground they believed on planet Earth, it was in ruins. The walls had been torn down. Nehemiah, apparently, you can tell from the text, he doesn't know this fully, and he had gotten word, and he's sad, and so he goes to the king, and the king says, I've never, in chapter one, chapter two, he says, I've never seen you sad. What's the problem? And he tells him the story and how he's grieving for his people and the holy land of Jerusalem and the temple and the walls have fallen. And, and he gets bold and the king says, how can I help? And, and he, he, he looks at him boldly and he says, would you let me go rebuild it? Could I have some time off? And, and I'm gonna go rebuild it. And can I have a bunch of people permission to take them from their other places that they've been scattered and can we go rebuild? And the king says, okay. And Nehemiah starts getting a little bolder. and He says, can you pay for it? <laughs> he says, actually, yeah. This is a man of God with the favor of God on his life. So he gets more bold and he says, uh, could you write me letters to the other governors for protection because as soon as we start building, they're gonna wanna kill me because they're gonna think I'm going against you. Could you. He goes, yeah. He doesn't stop there. Another sermon for another day, but he boldly goes before the king again. He says, hey, could you give me uh, all the timber from your forest that I need to rebuild everything in Jerusalem? And the king goes, Sure and then they they, they they decide on a time frame that he's gonna get this done so he can come back and do his job, and so they gotta get going, and so they get going, and when they get there, they start building, and the building is going amazing, and it's going up faster than they thought, and the favor of the Lord, the Bible says, was on this building project, rebuilding the holy temple and the walls of God, And then all of a sudden, like the enemy always does, right? Not just in the Old Testament historically, but in our lives spiritually, the enemies come on the scene. There were two particular governors that did not like what was happening because they knew how powerful Israel was 70 years ago before they got scattered. And they didn't want that to happen again. And the minute those walls go up, they're fortified, which means they can start rebuilding and reloading, and they didn't want that. So a couple governors, one named Sanballat, what an awesome name, thanks mom and dad for that. And another one named Tobias, we here at Red Rocks will refer to him as Toby from HR, total party kill. Bring it into modern times here. So, so Sandballot and Toby from HR start threatening. This is what the enemy always does, right? Not just real enemies back, the, the enemy of our soul starts intimidating. Starts throwing out accusations, starts misrepresenting the truth to other people around them to try and get everyone to hate them. And Nehemiah's incredible man of God, great leader. He's got this discernment and he starts to realize this is what's happening. And so he uh, starts to thwart all their efforts and it works. But here's what they have to do. While they are building Because of the attacks of Toby and the attacks of Sambal, it says they have to work with a shovel in one hand and the sword in the other. Let's read. This is Nehemiah. We pick up in chapter four, verse 15. It says, when our enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our work. So the plan didn't work. They're going back to work. Listen, though. Here's what they had to implement because of the enemies. Discipline. From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Listen to this. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Can you imagine? Like having to do work, like shoveling. Is it not hard enough? Like I've been shoveling snow for the last four months. I'm gonna kill the snow. I'm going to kill, I'm so over it. I'm sorry, skiers, I'm done, all right? Not skiing this year, so it's not fun for me. I'm not excited, I'm sick. This is bad enough, right? But the enemy is such a threat that they're literally having to do work in one hand, it says, and hold a sword in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, and can we not stop for a minute and bring this into 2020? And while most of us don't carry swords, I hope not, And do jobs requiring shovels? Some of you still do. Most of you require keyboards, right? But can can we be honest? Isn't life a bunch of this? As long as sin's still in the world, as long as there's still an enemy of our soul who hasn't yet fully been defeated to his full, as long as he still has a little bit of rain to mess with us and toy with us, this is an inevitable part of life. So we gotta figure out how to handle these well. And when it's time to pick them up, but listen to me, when it's time to also put them down, which is really hard to do when you're constantly feeling the barrages of the enemy coming against you in life. And I know a bunch of you at all of our campuses, you feel this all the time. It's real, man. So what I want us to see, although this is a very real historical moment and account in the scriptures, what I want us to see is what this shovel and this sword for us in 2020 represents. This is a beautiful thing right here when it's wielded right. Because this represents work. And I think we sometimes forget because work comes with thorns and thistles and sweat and blood and tears, we forget that God instituted us to work before sin, not after, not because of. Work is a holy, life-giving, celebratory endeavor when it is done well and done right. But there's an enemy, right? Which means we only get to work, essentially, with, with, with only limited potential because we also have to keep a sword in our other hand. Because you know what this represents? Well, this represents create, creativity and redeeming and rebuilding and work. This represents praying, man. Ephesians 6. This represents opening up the word. This represents, man, this is how we fight our battles. Our weapons, the Bible says, are not carnal. Right, We don't fight people. We don't fight with weapons in the kingdom of God. What we do is we fight the enemy, and how do we do that? We do it with prayer. We do it when we spend time in the word. Like when Sean talked about how do we fight our battles, we, we sometimes, it's just we throw down with the musical side of worship, and we just get our eyes off ourselves and we start to worship God, and something starts to change, and the enemy starts to get defeated. Who we fight with has everything. Doug so eloquently talked about it. Who we fight with has everything. But this is an inevitable part of life, and this matters. But here's what happened they had for 52 straight days before they completed it. They got it finished, they, they rebuilt a whole city and a temple in 52 days. Talk about a move of God with a lot of this and a lot of this. And then you know how they finished it 52 days later, it says? It says Pastor Ezra cracked open the old covenant law, and for four straight hours, to commemorate what they had just done, he started reading to them from Leviticus. Four hours. Some of you have already got past that on your Bible reading plan or that made you quit your Bible reading plan. Four hours. And they're tired, 52 days of this. And they're doing it with good hearts and they're doing it with good intentions. And now they call a four-hour church service. And guess what? Nehemiah is such an incredible leader. He's such an incredible man of God because he starts to notice that the reading of the law four hours into it is probably a little bit overwhelming for tired people, right? And so he steps in, and listen to what he says here. Listen to what he says in Nehemiah chapter eight. Then Nehemiah the governor... Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, listen to this, this is the day, this day, excuse me, is holy to the Lord your God. This is a holy day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep, and they're like, then quit reading Leviticus. (laughs) I feel horrible about myself, right? For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why? Let's just stop for a minute so you understand this. The ultimate purpose of the law is not to enjoy life, it's to bring self awareness to you so you can repent and enjoy life. The Apostle Paul in Romans says the ultimate goal of the law is to reveal the trespass, it's not to make you feel awful. It's not to make you feel condemned, because in that same book he says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why do we still read the do's and don'ts of scripture? It's real simple, to bring a holy self-awareness back to you so you can see where you're honestly at, ask honest, difficult, self-aware questions, and then turn in the direction of enjoying life again. It's called repenting, right? So Jesus said, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Repenting is not a scary, bad thing. It is a beautiful thing when it is leveraged right, condemnation free. So they're reading the law and, and listen to me, that is a good thing, but not always. We would be miserable people if that's all we ever did, but doesn't it sound real spiritual? Four hour services reading Leviticus, right? It sounds awful, but it sounds spiritual. Listen to what Nehemiah says as their leader. Brilliant moment. Go and you ready for the next word? Enjoy. Pour joy back into yourself. Here's what Nehemiah is saying: There's no more grace for reading scripture right now. Reading scripture is powerful. Some of you right now think I'm a sacrilegious. What? In that moment, the grace of God for the scripture doing its work was done because it's a means to a greater end. Joy, and Nehemiah recognizes it's okay. It's not the time or place for the for the scripture reading anymore. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna go and enjoy, what's he say? Choice food. That doesn't sound real spiritual, does it? Well, to foodies, to me it does, but it doesn't compared to reading Leviticus. And sweet drinks. Go get get the Merlot, go get the meat, right? That's what what it probably says in some weird translation. And send some. (laughs) Here's a key to joy. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. You will never enjoy life when you are not helping those who cannot help themselves. But that's another sermon for another day. He says, prepare some for those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord. And here's the coffee mug verse. We all know this. For the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Nehemiah is a brilliant leader here because here's what I want you to learn about spiritual disciplines. One's not more holy and more important than the other. This is can be just as noble and holy as this. It's not about which one is more spiritual, it's which one do you most need to bring the most glory to God right now. Paul said, whatever you do, shovel, sword, meat, merlot, whatever you do, eat, drink, do it for the glory of God. There is a holy way to do absolutely everything. But this is always gonna look more spiritual. Working, cultivating, creating, right? paying your pay, pay bills, with being all spiritual, praying, reading the word. This is always gonna look like the break you get because you've been so holy, right? But it's not spiritual. And, and, and Nehemiah says, no, this, is, this day is holy to God. So here's what we're gonna do in the midst of the holiness. We're gonna party. Right? Because we've been doing that a lot and the grace on that is finished. Building's done. We've read the word. The grace is gone there. Here's where we're gonna add another degree of joy. We're gonna come over and we're gonna have some fun good old-fashioned fun. We're gonna sit around, we're gonna dance, we're gonna eat, we're gonna talk about that day three days ago when Chuck fell off the wall when we were almost done with it. We were, you know, like we're, gonna, we're gonna tell stories, we're gonna laugh till we cry, cry till we laugh. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. I, uh, Wednesday, for about the last five years, I've had a habit, this is gonna make me sound really spiritual, that's not my goal here, but I have to say that I, I, for the last five years, I try, and, and I haven't been perfect, but I try because I believe in it spiritual discipline called fasting. And when I have preaching duties, I spend Wednesdays not writing sermon, not hoping to do good up here, so you guys like me, I spend Wednesday completely getting my heart right before the Lord. And I gotta preach all this weekend, I get on a plane Monday, I gotta preach at a pastor's conference Tuesday, I get on a plane Wednesday morning, I gotta preach at a church service Wednesday night in another state. So if I've ever needed to fast, it's been this week. So Wednesday, I fasted. It was me, my Bible, the Lord, tucked away all day, phone off, me and Jesus, me and the, don't I sound so amazing and spiritual, right? Like you're going, okay, great, great job, Pastor. No, but I, I can't do this right now with any boldness and confidence if I don't do that alone when none of you are around. I just can't, I don't want it. I don't want this to rest on me. I want to be the power of God, right? And so I, I do that. Now, here's what I did Thursday. I got up and it was my son's birthday, Ben. And we have a tradition on your birthday, if it's during the school year, which three of our four is, you skip school that day. So Ben skips school, Ben, what do you want for breakfast? I'll take you anywhere. We can go to any breakfast place you want. I'm thinking he's gonna say snooze, toast, you know, something great. He goes, I just want bacon. <laughs> and my, my wife's like, Ben, no, you can have eggs, pancakes. I'll make you anything you want. He goes, I just want bacon. And I'm over in the corner crying like, that's my boy. He's gonna be training a child, right? In the way he should go. Me and Ben had just bacon for breakfast. Literally nothing else. Bacon and black cod dream day, right? He watches some shows that he wants. Well, he's supposed to be at school a little later. And me, him, and my wife go to the mall. He wanted a pair of shoes for his birthday, so that's what he got for his birthday. He thought we were leaving. I go, we're not leaving. We're at the Southwest Plaza Mall. We went to round one and just played video games till his heart was content. And then that night, he had some friends over, and he asked for sushi. He's our adult eater. He likes like steak, ribs, sushi. Like he's eight, and I love it. We had sushi. We had uh, Dairy Queen ice cream cake. Uh huh. Right. Careful with your thoughts. Dairy Queen ice cream cake. We had an incredible time. We laughed. It, it was an, and it was an amazing day. Can I tell you? It was. Just as holy and spiritual as my Wednesday. Being an engaged, present father to my eight year old was as holy, if not holier, than any day I've ever fasted before the Lord to get my heart right to preach. Preaching is a noble duty, it is a gift, it is a privilege. It doesn't compare to the holy privilege of being a father, it does not compare. So, if you, 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 yeah, clap for fatherhood, not me. Clap for fatherhood, right? But here, here's what we tend to do we tend to make this stuff secular and this stuff spiritual. King David doesn't let that happen. In Psalms 24, he said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is God's. He gave us the gift of prayer and time in the word, He gave us the gift to create, to subdue, to multiply to work, to get our hands dirty, to sweat, to recreate, to rebuild, to redeem, what a gift. But you know what he also gave us the gift of? He gave us the gift of steak. (laughs) And it matters to him, all right? And it can be holy. Now, here's why we do the secular-sacred divide. Because you look at the wine and you look at the steak and you think misused, drunkenness, gluttony, right? And so this is clearly secular. Because it can literally, some of you, you know this. This was your story before God got a hold of you. Or you're living with someone and this is their story and it's destroying your family. You go, how could you call this sacred when it's killing me? No, no, no. It, when done right, it's for the goal of joy. And it's God's. Everything is God. C.S. Lewis said it this way in the screw tape letters. He says, the enemy has zero ability. Zero ability to create anything. He is not a creator. He is a perverter at best. This is the only dominion he still has is he can take God's creation and pervert it. But when this is used right, it is a holy day unto the Lord. Nehemiah just said it. Put the sword down, put that down. Good job with that, I'm proud of you. But the grace is gone there now. And now to get back to the greatest means to the end, which is enjoyment of life, here's what we need to do because we're tired. And we need to replenish and we need to refill. But there's this thing in the scriptures called proof texting, Okay, let's go to Seminary 101. When you get taught how to preach, it's it's a study called hermeneutics. One of the first things they teach you is the ultimate interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. It's 101. When you start to interpret by isolating a Scripture or a passage of Scripture, it's called proof texting. Okay, that's where you take an isolated passage and you turn it into a doctrine. This is how cults get started, all right? Like you, you, you read one thing and go, this is what God is. This is who God is and you build everything around it. It's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. So, so let, me, let me explain this to you. This isn't what restores joy. Jesus is what restores joy. This was the means to the greater end for them in this moment. Because here's where we could proof text. We could read that Nehemiah said, stop the work, stop the spiritual stuff, come over here, eat the steak, drink the Merlot, dance, have fun, do your thing, right? Here's where you get joy, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We could make a whole doctrine out of, you really wanna have more joy? Party more. Uh Uh-uh. Spiritual discipline is recognizing the right activity in the right moment to bring the right thing, which is the joy of the Lord which is our strength. That's it. So here's what can happen. A lot of people spend so much time with this. You, you know what would actually bring joy to them? Getting away from that and picking this stuff back up. So don't, don't make a doctrine. Don't hear, me, don't hear me this weekend saying that's the key to strength and joy. For them in that moment, that's what they most needed because the grace here was gone. But for a lot of people, maybe some of us even here, right now, you've bought into this lie that it's the aesthetics in life, it's the stuff in life, and the more I have it, and you end up doing, instead of getting joy and, and real celebration, you just numb. And you keep waiting in the excess, it just keeps handing you more problems when you thought it would hand you more celebration and more joy. But, but, but that's not the thing, right? Right? some of the some 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 like like it's the instagram culture we live in is it not crazy we talk about it all the time because we have to you everyone in here has the instagram friend or friends someone's going i hope i'm not the friend (laughs) it's true we got like right their whole instagram stories look like this all the time it's like how do you pay for that how are you on a vacation every other weekend? How do you afford those restaurants every other post? And they're just like all the time and you're just like, I want that life, right? And there's always the perfect girl with the perfect body wearing next to nothing and she, she takes a picture like this and then puts a real spiritual quote on it to offset the vanity for judgment's sake, right? <laughs> and you're just like, stop, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that and then put a Mother Teresa quote, <laughs> like, right? Or some dude that's got 18 abs, he's always around famous people. You're like, how does my friend know all these famous people? And he's never got a shirt on in any of his posts. He's always having the time of his life at some pool. And then he puts a quote underneath there to again, offset like, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. (laughs) Martyred missionary to the Inca Indians, Jim Elliot, hashtag goals, hashtag God's property, right? And you're just like, shut up. You don't get both. You can post yourself and go, I felt good today. I look good today. Or you can put a spiritual quote. You don't get both. New rule. That was a rabbit trail. New rule. I didn't plan that. I apologize. (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) I kid, we have fun. I'm trying to enjoy life here. <laughs> so it's really important you understand spiritual disciplines are about rhythm of grace. It's about rhythms. It's not about shovel sword. All of this, everything in life is a means to a greater end. Enjoying God. Enjoying yourself. Enjoying each other. We overcomplicate it. And any of these things at any different time has the ability when done in a holy way graced by God, to bring back joy, to give you strength, to fight through this world. Because in this world, on this side of the earth, Jesus said, you will have trouble. We fight a good fight right now. Sean did a whole series about stay in the fight, right? It was a great series. We have bumper stickers for it, right? Like, we are in a fight. We don't have to ignore that. We don't have to paint the sky blue all the time. But I do believe we are called to bring heaven back to earth. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, no, don't wait. You call it down, and guess what? They are partying in heaven. Do you know the first thing we're gonna do when this thing wraps up? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Can I get a witness, anybody? Like, God is into enjoying things for his glory, but the goal is to do it together with him. Not excess, not overdue. See, this is as dangerous, see, because we go, well, that can lead to drunkenness and gluttony. You know what this can lead to? Workaholism, dad, at the expense of the most holy thing, your kid. You know what this can lead to? Self-righteousness. You know, and I'm guilty of this. I've wielded spiritual things in people's faces, not for the means of re-enjoying life and getting my strength back, but to make myself look good. You think, you think this doesn't have potential danger? Just this does? I sometimes wonder what's more toxic: drunkenness or self-righteousness? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what hurts more people. You ever cracked open the word of God and used it as a weapon against other people and people groups instead of the weapon against the enemy who it was intended for? Like when we swing the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Paul said, you're wrestling not against each other. You're wrestling against principles and powers, rulers in the invisible world. And we spend so much time wielding this thing at each other. The word was never for that, it was a means. It's a narrative of Christ's life to restore joy back to us. Not to hurt people, not to weaponize it. So again, it's not a matter of these uh, in this spiritual discipline series. It's a, it's a matter of rhythm. And which one do you most need? King David in Psalms and all. wrap up with this band, you can come up. How am I doing? I'm over, I apologize. <laughs> King David was on the back end of adultery. And in Psalms 51, he writes this incredibly beautiful repentant prayer. And he uses this one line that's now famous and most of us in here could quote it and know it. He says, God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? You ever been there? I've been there so many times and I'll be there again. He's just on the back end of a really bad mistake, one that's caused so much damage, one that has so much collateral damage relationally and you don't need anyone to tell you or to beat you up because you've done it enough for yourself and King David just gets to his wits end, he finally gets self-aware enough to own it and he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Now, if we proof text that, God would say what? Well, then go have a bunch of Merlot and meat, King David. Do you know how much meat and Merlot a king of Israel could have? The last thing he needed on the back end of an adultery was this, this was going to be a medicine for him that would never quench and cure him. So do you know what he says in Psalms 51 is the cure for joy in that moment? Because it's about rhythm of grace, not about right or wrong, spiritual, unspiritual, secular, sacred. It's what does the moment most need? Do you know what it was for David? He said this, here's what you want from me, God, a broken and a contrite spirit. That's what's gonna restore joy back to David in that moment. But you could prove text that too and say, that's the only way to get joy back is just read Leviticus for four hours and feel awful about yourself and pray before God. And no, 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 there is a time to be broken before God and just authentically apologetic and deeply sorry for the mistake you made. And that's your only pathway back to joy in that moment because that's where the grace is. So again, what I want us to recognize as we walk out of these doors this weekend at every campus is just recognize what do you most need right now? None of these are more important than the other. Some of you right now need to throw these down. You've been working and you've been spiritually fighting and, and, and you're just trying so hard to do whatever you can do to get God to work on your behalf. And, and the grace is now gone. And God says, I want you to be still right now and know that I'm God. And that could be, a that we, we use that sometimes to go, just always be still and let God do his thing. No, there's, there's a time to fight there's a time for some of you to be still and know that he's God. And you know through the voice and the, the unction, I'm gonna use an old word of the Holy Spirit right now, if that's you. Best thing you can do walking out of here is put down the sword, put down the shovel, and say, God, I gotta have a good day. I gotta do something for me. And I, I don't wanna do it for me if you're not there, because you're my Lord. I don't think joy is gonna come if you're not. So would you, can you and me party today? And then you know what that looks like for you. Some of you, the parting needs to stop. It has not given you anything that you thought except a bunch of trouble. Stop the parting and it's time to pick up the sword and it's time to fight. Put some of that energy away from that and into into this and say, I'm gonna get my heart back right again. Some of you, that broken and contrite spirit is gonna restore to you the joy of your salvation. Some of you, it's good old-fashioned worship time right now. We, we can do that right now if you want. We're going to. You know what it is. That, that, that's my point. You know what it is. So, so I end with this question. When was the last time you could say that you really enjoyed your life? When was the last time you, you could say you really enjoyed, with the joy of the Lord, your life? And I'm talking about the fully joyful, fully present in the moment, fully content with life, fully at peace with the person in the mirror type joy. A joy you deserve to have. It's about rhythm. It's about discipline. Recognizing what you most need and listen to me, the Holy Spirit will be so overly kind to let you know what it is. Your heart will know, trust your heart. Your heart will know what you most need in this moment. And I just want us to walk out of here and I want you to have permission to say, I deserve to enjoy life. Doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. Back end of a divorce, you deserve to enjoy life. Doesn't matter what you're going through right now. You deserve to enjoy life. No money in the bank. Every day is a guessing game of where it's gonna, you deserve to enjoy life. And you don't have to have all that. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You need the presence of the God. Another great leader, Moses, said this, in thy presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And his presence is not only with you, it is in you. Joy is yours for the taking. I don't know how else to explain it. I wish I could just like, and you all have it. I don't wield those kind of powers. It would be cool if I, well, it wouldn't be good if I could. I would misuse it. I can do this though. At every campus, if you guys would stand I can pray pastorally for you right now. And if you're in here or at any of our other campuses this weekend and you go, Chad, I would like a fresh, and I'm gonna use some old churchy stuff. You can go look it up on Google if you're new. I'm sorry I can't explain it to you, but my time's up. We're gonna pray for a fresh anointing of joy for all of us. And as a person who is, been very open about my struggles with depression, you don't know what a precious prayer this is for me to get to pray with you. Because you deserve it and I deserve it. And that was why God created us in the first place. And he wasn't the one that stole it from us. It's that stupid lying trickster. And we come against that in the name of Jesus. So if you're in here at any campus, can we just have an honest church moment? And you say, I would like to be prayed for. I want a fresh anointing of the oil of joy over my life. And I'm gonna believe by faith that even before I walk out of here, God's gonna do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. If that's you, put it up high. Come on, let's be bold. My hand's up my hand will be up on this every time someone asks for it. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this in and of ourselves. So we just come before you right now and we just ask that there would be a spirit of joy. There would be a spirit of authentic, holy celebration that starts to come into our hearts yet again, that you would refill us with the strength to go another day. You would refill us for 167 more hours before we meet again to go out of these doors and live fully. God, I pray that every single person. No matter how bad life is, no matter how much they're beating themselves up right now, every single person would know from you, not me, you, that they deserve joy. They deserve to enjoy life. Heavenly Father, do what only you can do. As we begin to worship you, God, I begin, I pray that you begin to heal people physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, God, start to heal people. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And the reason I so boldly ask this is because I have tasted and I have seen, God, how good you are. We love you. We dedicate this next week to you until we meet again. It's in your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.